Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Oh, geez, Dad, not the car again. Oh, happens all the time with old Betsy. Have you checked out Carvana yet? They have thousands of cars for under $20,000. But do those thousands of cars have personality like old Betsy? Betsy's held together by tape. And there are raccoons living in the engine. It's a family car. Uh, there are flames on the hood? Ah, custom paint job. No, Dad, the car's on fire. How many cars did you say Carvana had? Visit Carvana.com to shop thousands of cars for under $20,000. We'll drive you happy at Carvana. What is your next position, Bradley? Doggy? When Arsenal knocks on the door of players, it's a different knock than other clubs. Claps, claps, claps. Les différents podcasts de frappe. Arsenal have been through that mile and a half of pipe like Andy Dufresne in the Shawshank Redemption where you have to see the light at the end of the tunnel. El podcast de golpe diferente. But Arsenal are going through their pipe, like I say. We'll be back. The Different Knock Podcast. Maybe we'll have a good surprise for you. Welcome back to the Crazy Goals and Assists 1080p HD podcast with Alexander Moneypenny and my very unwell friend. Welcome to the Arsenal video merchant, Bradley Adams. Hello, sir. Hello, mate. Just to just a PSA, if there's any uh, any any weird cuts, just know uh, I I've had to sprint out of the room. I'm uh, I'm in the trenches today, Alex. We'll say that. Can can we say what you just said off off air, or are you you don't want to broadcast that to what? the world? What that I shit myself this morning? <laughs> <laughs> that I'm so unwell that I literally shit myself this morning. <laughs> you didn't still didn't answer. It, was Never it in your fart. pants, or was it? Yes. Or was it on? Yes. Oh. <laughs> uh, Alex, it wasn't. It's not solid. <laughs> mate there's something about toilet humor i think i went off it for a little while thinking it's too immature but it's it's always funny do you know what i mean it, it, it's it, mate it's, it's fucking cracking well there's a crack joke somewhere but i'm not i'm not quick enough to make it uh but yeah are you are you gonna be all right do you reckon you can get through the pod we'll see i i reckon there's gonna be a short pause between the main bit and some news and views where Alex might hear some very unfortunate sounds that will leak from my bathroom. <laughs> this isn't a skip, by the way, guys. This is not a joke. Welcome back to uh, the Different Old Podcast. Hope you haven't got a weak stomach. How are you? Like Brad does. Uh, hope you're doing well. <laughs> We've done our YouTube scouting. We've got our FE ref data. I've got some we Jaffa do. cakes. Are Jaffa cakes a thing oh. worldwide? No, no, I think they're just an English thing. Are they? They're essentially, if you don't know what a Jaffa cake is, it's like a, uh, it's like a, uh, is it a cake? No, oh, it's like a, it's the debate, isn't it? It's Whether a cake, it's a cake it's or a, a biscuit. Cake. It's called a, it's called a Jaffa cake. Come off it. But also it's, but it's not a cake. Do you know what? It's not like a, in the way you think of a cake. Do you know what I mean? It's like a sort of spongy base with some orange zest in the middle and chocolate on top. And the way I do it is I peel, I like crack the top of it 
So you get the the chocolate bit, and then you take the chocolate off, and then you eat the orange bit, and then you eat the sponge. This is the concept people came for, Brad. <laughs> hearing, hearing about my stomach my stomach troubles and how you eat Jaffa cakes. Mate, bring the football back. Fucking hell. Um, yes, we're going to do some scouting. Uh, not scouting. We're going to we uh, give, give you our... Um, we've done some scouting. We're going to give you our feedback. Uh, we've both picked... Our recommendations. Some positions uh, that we think Arsenal will be targeting this summer. And we're going to be running through... Uh, our choices, our options, the people we found from our scouting. And I, I have to say, Brad, I don't think I've ever been so prepared for a podcast in my life. Me neither. Me neither. Other than the fact that I've lost my notebook that has all my notes in. So um, it's a good thing I've got a good memory. That could hinder your, your progress. Is it down the toilet, maybe? Maybe you shit that out as well. <laughs> Sorry. My life's down the toilet at this rate, mate. <laughs> Fuck me. <laughs> Before we get onto that, though, uh, there's a couple of things we should talk about. Firstly, Arteta, one manager of the month. Yes, he did. Hey. Congratulations. Very good. Very good uh, for three, was it three wins and a loss against Liverpool? Which, you know, it's pretty good. Uh, and mm-hmm. then immediately, Thomas Tuchel shits on it. I'm so sorry. Sorry to remind you. Um, yeah, he says, he said very sarcastically, no, it's okay. We can leave it like this. We win all the matches and I don't get the reward. I cannot be happier. And I'm just like, fuck off. And also, uh, may- maybe this is a kind of Arsenal bias thing and having have a day off. pretty much exclusively Arsenal fans that I follow and kind of, you know, worrying only about the, uh, the, the mighty gunners. But I swear down, no one cares when anyone else celebrates apart from us. No one cares about manager of the month unless it's Arteta. No one cares about international players making mistakes unless it's Ben White like it 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 boggles the the kind of media scrutiny on Arsenal and I think this is kind of summed up by the Gary Neville comments it's like people can't accept that we might be good again there's this weird culture at the moment where I think because we're shifting from being kind of the banter club to actually like oh we really might be making some progress I think it's really upsetting a lot of fans for, of other clubs because they, they see the progress and they want it for themselves. United fans, Leicester fans, uh, Tottenham fans. I mean, they're better anyway, but do you know what I mean? Like, I feel like there's this this cultural shift at the moment, which is giving rise to a lot of kind mm. of bitter, like stupid commentary on Arsenal, which I don't like. I'm annoyed, Brad. Yeah, I mean, it, this happens, but this happens all the times. You know, uh, just think about the amount of comments that were made about signing Ben White for £50 million versus when... United made Maguire the most expensive defender in history and, and, and lots of shit like that. I uh, they, they, There's always this weird um, hypocrisy and they only just start to care about these kind of things and issues when it, when it becomes anything to do with Arsenal. I don't really care. If anything, I, I think Klopp probably deserved it over Arteta. Three games, three wins, three clean sheets. Like, I, I don't think that you can overlook that but there is no way in hell that Thomas Tuchel deserved it Thomas Tuchel played Burnley and beat them Newcastle and beat them and I think that was it oh and Norwich and Norwich so so three relegation fodder teams that they played and beat well done for doing the basics of a team that were talking about themselves like they were going to win the league at the start of the season um, we played Leicester, Watford and Villa 
So, okay, Watford are on the same level as the relegation follow that they played. Leicester and Villa are much high up. We also played, played Liverpool well. and yeah. played quite well for about 60 minutes. So I I, I guess it's about knowing your place. Like I, I could understand Klopp complaining about it. But why Tommy Tuchel has got his, his knickers in a twist over this is, is balmy because they're currently getting absolutely fisted by Brentford. So know where your stock is in the world. <laughs> oh, right now? Yeah. Brentford have got have, have had them over a well, they're, they're, it's nil-nil, but they've had them over a barrel from what I've listened to for Sky Sports for about 20 minutes. Do, do you not think, though, uh, it's also about the... Do you remember when the postponement request happened and loads of other clubs did it and then Arsenal did it and it seemed like a problem? Do you not think this is a new thing, though? And, and, and my my hypothesis is it is because we're, we are making progress. I mean, it's kind of, you know, you have to tear people down to make yourself feel better type, type thing. Like, do, you not, do, you not think, do you not see it as a contemporary thing as well as, okay, there's historical uh, examples, too? No, I, I think shit like this happens all the time, especially when it comes to Arsenal. I, I've, I always think there's a double standard in the way that Arsenal are covered versus a lot of other teams. But this season, especially, you look at quotes from from Spurs and from Chelsea and from United about Arsenal. It's because, especially United and Spurs, they're desperate to usurp us. So they're going to try everything in their little black book of of powers to try and chat shit in the media and this and that to try and make you know play some mind games and it's probably the same from Chelsea you know we're not that far off Chelsea there is a world in which Chelsea because they don't play very good football a lot of the time drop a lot of points and you know they've got Lukaku up front who couldn't hit a barn door on fucking Ronald McDonald's (laughs) farm there will be a lot of barn doors on his farm they could drop a lot of points and and we could easily we could easily catch them. So I think it's a lot to do with mind games and where if we're sat comfortably in eighth and they've got this pedestal on us and Arteta had a good month and won it, I don't think there's this conversation. But it all comes into this this merry-go-round of mind games. I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. But I I I, I do I do see more of it. And I think like at the moment I feel. Arsenal, like, like at the beginning of the season, it was kind of open season on Arsenal because we were doing badly. And now it feels like it's open season on Arsenal because we're doing well. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it just feels, I don't know, it, it feel, we feel like, a, I feel like a bit of a target. I feel victimised for being an Arsenal fan, basically. Um, we've got 10 games left. No more international break. Uh, international break, sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the cliche, 10 cup finals, they're all important. I'm not going to ask you a... Sky Sports, do you think they should try and win the games question? But how important do you see this being and how do you see it panning out? Um, we're definitely in the driver's seat right now. It's, uh, I, I think I think we've got it for a few reasons. Um, for one, Spurs need us to lose to Chelsea, to United and then lose to them and they need to win every single one of their remaining fixtures to, you know, go above us. And United also need to beat us and have us lose again, I think, and then win all of their remaining fixtures to go above us and stay above us. 
neither of those two teams are going to win every single one of their remaining fixtures. You know, obviously touch wood, I wouldn't want to talk that into existence. But I, I, I have every faith that they are also going to drop points across the course of the season. What we just have to do as a team is manage the moments where we drop points. For example, we've got Chelsea and we've got United and we've still got Spurs to play. We need to almost pick and choose our moments when we're going to drop points. Mm. I want top four sewn up by the time that we play Spurs come the end of the season because we all know that's where Sky Sports are going to put that game. So the occasion doesn't, it doesn't come down to this occasion. I want it sorted and wrapped up and done. And we do that by just winning the fixtures that we should win. Because right now, United and Spurs are both very bad at winning the fixtures that they should win. So if we can take advantage of that and hope that they don't across the, the kind of tail end of the season I think we'll be fine something encouraging I saw yesterday as well um, Ian Dennis from the BBC tweeted something that was essentially someone from the LMA told him at some point that um, basically nothing not nothing but a lot there's rare change in the final nine games of a Premier League season and he proved it and he showed essentially you know from I think it was from 11-12 up until 18-19 there's a bit of movement. So, for example, 1819 uh, from the from nine left, it was City, Liverpool, Tottenham, and United, um, and then the final uh, the final count was City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Tottenham. So that moved around, but the top four didn't change from that situation. Nine games in uh, nine games left in 1718 didn't change in 1617. Didn't change the season before. Didn't change the season before. Didn't change the season. Uh, sorry, did change the season following, um, but. There's not much change historically. And similarly in the relegation battle, actually, uh, that you tend to find the final sort of nine, 10 games, not a lot changes in terms of positions. So that's encouraging. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but, you know, it's always good to have a kind of good omen. And I feel, I feel positive because ultimately, I think beforehand, whenever I've, approached a run-in or whenever we've approached a a series of games that feel particularly important, I've always felt concerned about the consistency of our performance. Results may vary. Do you know what I mean? Results may vary and like moments happen. And that's why you need those top, top players to get you through those moments to be the difference, right? You know, that's why the top teams are are in those positions. In terms of our performance, in terms of how we're going to approach the game, in terms of whether I think Arteta will set us up in the right way to get through those games. I'm really confident. I feel really confident. You know, I, I have not watched us be outclassed by anyone other than the top teams this season. I've not watched us be outclassed. I've watched us be out, you know, in terms of quality, 100% taken apart. But if if we're looking at the games that we've actually played since, basically since those first three games, tactically, we've been there. We've been you know, creating more and more chances as the season's gone on. And if we don't get any injuries, I feel really, really confident that we've got a really, really good chance. So obviously I'm concerned. I would be careful not to repaint history. I don't think we were there at the start of the season. You know, this this newfound chemistry amongst our front line isn't uh, something that's been there since just after those first three games. That's, I think if you look at 
it's kind of about November, December time. That's when you see our shot numbers start to go up. And funnily enough, it's it's after we've annexed Abamyang that you see our shot numbers go up, our creative numbers go up, uh, our attacking verve spring into life. So I don't I don't want to repaint this whole season as if it is just those first three games. The games against Norwich, against Burnley, that Palace 2-2 draw, we were definitely not where we are now. And that's important to note because that's massive progress made in six months. And that that's why I don't want to repaint history. It's not that I want to uh, keep bringing it up because I want to use it as a as a stick to hit us with. It's important to note how far we've come in those six months and that we've gone from having a bit of a mishmashed, dysfunctional forward line to something cohesive with chemistry that now works. I think you're right that there's been gradual improvement and I think that's self-evident. But I also think what I said was tactically, after those first three games, I, I've pretty much almost every game watched us and thought we've got the right plan here, whether it's to stay compact, whether it's to overload on one side and switch to the other, whether it's to work it through the midfield. I've felt as though every single time I've watched the team, basically since that Norwich game, we've had some kind of structure and plan that feels right. Now, yes, you're absolutely right that the combinations have started to form. The uh, the chances have, have increased in volume. We've become more slick in the final third. We've, uh, you know, we, we've definitely improved by lots of metrics. But in terms of have I watched us go out on, on the pitch with a complete dud of a game plan? Have I watched us go out on the pitch and I felt as though oh my God, we're we're getting absolutely screwed on this left-hand side or, oh, you know, I feel as though we've completely lost control of the midfield or, or whatever it is for long periods of the game. I don't feel that. So I feel confident, therefore, moving forward that actually, even if things go wrong, maybe individually and we, we don't get over the line for whatever reason, players underperforming or whatever, I don't believe the coach um, will bottle it. Do you know what I mean? Like for me personally, I don't I don't believe Arteta will set us up in, an, in a way that means we are doomed to failure whereas do I can I imagine Ralph Rennie going into a, a match and not quite getting it right yes mm. no I get what you mean I get what you mean ah. uh, should we get on to our transfer window no not transfer window should we get on to our scouting let's do it let's do it okay Bradley and I have looked at uh, six positions between us right yes I've actually done two, but I'll explain why. So five positions between us that we believe that Arsenal um, will probably be looking at in the summer. Uh, Those are, for me, uh, central midfield, potentially a centre-back, I'll explain why, and uh, a right-sided winger. And for Bradley, they are... For me, they are a right-back, a left-winger, and a centre-forward. Cool. Cool. Okay, okay, cool. I want to preface this and and just quickly start this off with a conversation that we've had before. And I I, I think this is a a potential area of debate and I'm open to ideas, but I'm I'm starting to form the idea that I think we should kind of do away with the idea of backups. We need to sign a backup right back or we need to sign a backup centre forward. I think, firstly, when we've done that in the past, that has always backfired, whether it's uh, Kalasanach or uh, Licksteiner or, uh, you know, you know, 
pick pick your number basically someone who essentially comes in as okay they might get a few games but mostly they're coming in to cover or to understudy and i also think when you look around at the other top teams they don't buy players to be backups. What happens is they buy players and they overload on top in terms of quality. And sometimes the player that was already there stays and plays. And sometimes the player that they buy goes into the team and the other one comes out and either either gets sold or becomes a really, really good bit of squad depth. You know, with Liverpool signing Diaz, Firmino potentially drops out, potentially Mane drops out, but then they've got them on the bench. They don't, you know, they're not worried about signing oh, we need to sign a backup mm-hmm. because we want Marley to get to play. Ultimately, the most important thing is the squad depth. So I, I, as a kind of squad building principle, sort of disagree with the idea of a backup. However, I do understand that, for example, for my right-sided winger, there is already maybe the best young player in the league, probably is the best young player in the league, playing in that position. So you have to be aware of that and cater for that. Do you see what I mean? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's important to notice a, a distinct, like a, a, a distinguishment in almost like the language you use. Obviously you want to go for quality. I think it, it, um, it depends on, on position though. For example, if you do have uh, a world-class center forward, because of the nature of that role, you were going to want to have that, especially if that center forward is uh, in your system, your, your goal getter, your bagsman. For example, when Salah was in his his absolute hottest streak, he's hit a bad run of form now, but he was playing every single game because that role in a team, it's important to keep momentum going, to keep confidence high. Uh, I find it the same with uh, centre-backs and partnerships. Once you solidify a partnership that works well at the back and they know each other's idiosyncrasies, it's important not to fuck with that too much unless it's for good reason. Um, obviously, I, th- I, I, I'm, I agree with you that you should always go for the highest quality that you could attract. But for example, and uh, maybe we can segue this onto my right back chat. If Tommy Asu is the exact profile of right back that in 75% of your games you're going to want to play because of the dynamic shift of being able to build with three in the first phase or have Tierney bomb on more and have him be a little bit more reserved and yada, yada, yada. You're going to have to understand that then securing a second, uh, like a second right back to cover that slot is going to be somebody that's going to have to accept playing only 25% of the available minutes unless there's injuries, unless there's fitness concerns. It, it becomes a, a difficult thing where I think that there are probably, there's probably one club in the world that actually has what you're talking about. And that's Manchester City. Liverpool have it right now because Spurs went in for Diaz. And so they didn't want to lose one of their top targets for the summer. So they went in and paid the money now. Liverpool could easily decide to sell Salah in the summer if he doesn't re-up his contract. They could sell Firmino or Mane. All three of those players are down to a year left on their contract. I don't think that the plan was ever to have the five players of Diaz, Jota, and then Firmino, Mane and Salah all in that squad at the same time because it does become an embarrassment of riches that you can't get minutes amongst those players. Whereas City make it work because they actually also have players in the midfield that can play on the wings sometimes. You know, Foden could easily play 
centrally or and has done at that false nine has also played on the left wing there's lots of minutes to be shared around that squad because there's a lot of positional versatility um and it, that is very much going to depend on style on on movement going forward and i do not think that there is enough high high quality players in the world to make that a reality for all top teams because at the end of the day if you're going somewhere and you're going, I could play for the team that wins the Premier League every year, but I only play maybe 30% of the minutes that I could play at Arsenal, a top four level team coming in and being their number one. Where are you going to choose to go? And it, it becomes an issue of there are so many big clubs across the world that the talent pool, it's it's almost an impossibility to be able to drag enough requisite quality to have almost two options who are nearly equally as good in each area. I agree in principle with some of what you say. Um, I think it depends on the squad makeup. I do stick by what I say in terms of, I don't think you should ever sign someone who is explicitly a backup, but maybe the thing we said about minutes of someone understanding they're going to pay 25% of minutes, then sign someone to me who's, probably between the ages of 18 and 21 who 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 doesn't expect that do you know what i mean mm-hmm. but don't sign someone who's 28 and accepts that see what i mean you know someone who goes well at some point i can be yeah i can be in that position agreed and also of course it depends on squad makeup you know if you have a harland at center forward my my answer to me is not okay well let's sign then a 30-year-old striker on a three five three to five year deal who can play you know when when harland isn't fit to me, I'm like, actually, I'd rather either sign the young player or sign a wide forward who can play there and then have someone else who can slot in on the left-hand side. I think whatever it is, you want to ensure the drop-off in quality is 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 as little as possible. And there may be, there also may be other positions where, for example, on the right-hand side, of course. with Tommy Asu, we might want to play a Tommy Asu who's, you know, okay, str- you know, strong in the air, can, can possibly play at centre-back, is, is less sort of... Less is sort of you know he's not going to take anyone on on the on the right hand side, and then perhaps add if he's willing to come a Lamptey or a Jed Spence, someone who's a bit you know someone who comes in a bit, uh, and can sort of play a different style because then you can adapt you know sort of per uh, per team. So, but yeah, mm-hmm. look, I think we're saying the same thing. I just I just think you should never go well. We can't be City, so let's not bother. I th- I think there's always ways around it, in my opinion. No, I, I get what you mean. And you're right in what you say. And to get young players in to fill that void rather than journeymen. Mm-hmm. I'll do so, I'll do centre forward. So uh, these are in first, second and third choices. I um, It is more of a kind of joint first for my first two players in, in terms of a choice and will depend on what we want from a striker moving forward. So my kind of first choices, my first two players are either Gabriel Jesus or Patrick Schick. Now, uh, Jesus is a really interesting one because I got to thinking about uh, Arsenal and our our forward line and thinking about this newfound chemistry and creativity that we have that we don't want to dismantle too quickly. I think that's why we've seen links to certain players who play as that false nine second striker like Jao Felix. And with Gabriel Jesus, I see this as very much an opportunistic move for Arsenal. 
he is very much an upgrade on Lacazette. Uh, he is quick. His first touch is great. Um, whilst I, I would have reservations about his finishing because, you know, he's, he's performing at, uh, in the lowest, like in the 35th percentile for non-penalty goals, which is not great. If you look at where else he profiles, though, he is in the 98th percentile for assists, the 76th percentile for shot-creating actions. He's in the 92nd percentile for passes attempted, uh, 99th for passes completed, 83rd for progressive passes, 97th for progressive carries. He's also in the 97th percentile for interceptions, the 88th for blocks and the 74th for tackles. What he presents as an opportunity to me is to keep this system mm. that we have and that profile. we're using right now and remove Lacazette and replace it with a better cog. And he's already worked with Arteta. I believe that Arteta could get him finishing at a better rate as well. Because one thing as well is I, I, I don't think he's exactly top dog. I don't think he's played the most... Uh, minutes and a lot of those minutes have been out on the right wing rather than in that center forward false nine role only two goals and eight assists this season from 20 games in the league which is not particularly great but the main thing that stuck out to me about why this deal I think is really really possible especially if we get Champions League football is he has one year left on his deal come the summer if you go to him and we have Champions League football he's worked with Arteta before and say Come in, we'll make you our number nine. You'll be playing in this sort of profile and role. We'll give you a decent, uh, we'll give you a decent contract. You can stay here for a couple of years, and we'll build a system that makes you flourish as much as it does the people around him. I think we could sell him the vision if that's what we want to go for. Now, my second option is very, very different, and that's Patrick Schick. Patrick Schick is a bagsman like just a pure goal scorer. He has 20 goals and three assists in 20 appearances this season. He is in the 99th percentile for non-penalty goals. He is in the 95th percentile of non-penalty XG. He is in the 85th of shots total. And he also is in the 70th of aerials one. He stands at about six foot two, um, would very much be somebody to get on the end of the creation that we're that we're doing uh, from the YouTube scouting I've done. Technically, he's very secure. He is somebody that I think could be taught and could hold the ball well and bring in players around him, though I do not ever really see him dropping as deep as Lacazette does, nor do I see him doing the pressing that Lacazette does. He's only on the 16th percentile for forwards uh, and their pressings per game. And one of the main things that kind of spun me towards these guys rather than the deals that we've we've kind of been linked with, you know, Darwin Nunes, is price points. I think we have to be really careful to not get so desperate and get suckered into a player who's had one good season and, and definitely has some reservations about them and being quoted 80 million euros for them. And both of these deals, I think, could be done for... A much less much less cost to the club, meaning that we have uh, more money to, to to bring in higher quality assets elsewhere. And also, you know, with Patrick Schick, he's putting up those numbers in a top five league at also a club that isn't exactly one of the top two clubs. 
But with Gabriel Jesus, bags of Premier League experience, bags of uh, experience under a manager who, uh, I don't know if you could say plays a similar style, but it, I don't think it would be hard for him to adjust. Similar principles. Right? And both of them are, yeah, but, but both of them for me are quite opportunistic deals that Arsenal could take advantage of. My third choice is Dominic Calvert-Lewin. Um, I think the one of the only things that's going for him is the fact that he's Premier League proven. I have real reservations about his finishing ability um, and his technical ability. I think he can combine okay, but I I think that he is definitely somebody that if we got in would take a bit of work to get used to the system. Uh, he definitely have some joy with those tearly whipped in crosses because he is very dominant in the air. Um, but it is that kind of combination play and technical prowess that started to drag me away from him rather than focusing on him as somebody that would be a good option. Okay, interesting, interesting. I was just watching, because um, I hadn't seen any of Patrick Schick, so I was watching a little bit of his highlights. Um, I suppose the question is, what do we think we're going to need? What what like what what are we missing from our forward line? And at the moment, we we basically have, um, you know, as a, in terms of a nine. Oh, Brad's gone. <laughs> the mighty warrior returns. It's really shitty timing, wasn't it? Yeah, awful timing. You okay? Yeah. Uh, what were we talking about yes okay so I think it's about what we need from a nine right and we we have an opportunity here to remodel completely that position because we basically I think probably to me both Lacazette and Nketi will move on I don't think Martinelli is ready to play number nine yet certainly not as a kind of starter so it's basically all bets are off. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, we, who knows what Arteta wants? He might want a, someone who can, you know, uh, run in behind and just be a pure kind of Jota, you know, little nuisance. Or he might want a big, you know, centre forward who's going to combine a bit more. I, I, who knows what he wants? I think based on what we've seen, based on what we know that he likes in terms of and what's been working, Someone in the Lacazette mould in terms of someone who's good with their back to goal, someone who can combine quickly, someone who can lay things off, someone who um, is, you know, uh, is in a similar mould feels like the, the way to go. And I think with Jesus, there is kind of untapped potential there. Um, you know, I mean, how, how old is he? 26, I believe. Right, right. So he's a good age in terms of the project... No, right, 2025. So. It's his it's his birthday tomorrow. Happy birthday, Gabrielle. Yeah, I mean, so there's a, there's a there's a a profile there that is ready to kind of grow with the project still, you know. Um he's probably at an age where he he's thinking I can't I can no longer be a kind of second option at Manchester City, you know. I, I basically never see him in the in the starting 11. And I think he's underrated with his back to goal. I think there's a potential explosion there that we could really take advantage of however 
that feels like more of a risk than someone like a Patrick Schick. That feels more of a risk than someone even like a Dominic Calvert-Lewin, where you feel like you know what you're going to get. I think actually Calvert-Lewin probably is the best fit for our system right now. Uh, you know, I, I I I don't think he could com- combine very well, but I think actually in terms of someone who could go in and do a job right now with this system, get some balls to in, into him from t and get, get him on the end of stuff, some cutbacks, some crosses in, you know, like he will get you probably 10 to 15 goals and that's great. But if we're looking to elevate what we currently have, I think someone like Jesus might be a good option. I mean, it, it's, it's complicated. It's really complicated because we, whoever that is, obviously spearheads literally, but also kind of spearheads the project in terms of how we're seen in the way that kind of Firmino defined many things uh, for Liverpool. That that player will define a lot for us, I think. Mm. And uh, listen, all of these deals are going to have their hang-ups in certain ways because, you know, listen, Everton need to make a lot of money and... Dominic Calvert-Lewin has also had a, a bad kind of injury-laden season. And you don't want to lose Lacazette on a free, losing Katia on a free, lay down 50, 60 million pounds on, on Calvert-Lewin and then have him miss four months of the season mm. through injury, um, which is something that I think also needs to be considered that because we aren't in a situation, well, to our knowledge yet where we would have either of our current strikers in the squad next season. We need somebody who we know is going to come in and be reliable. And right now there is a bit of an asterisk next to Calvert-Lewin's name over his injury record and fitness and whether that would again become a problem at Arsenal. I think you're right. Are there other names in terms of, you know, Darwin Nunes or or anyone that you, you had a look at and thought, uh, the, the issue that I found with Darwin Nunes is that he has done his best work in a two for Benfica and very much shade, uh, kind of has shades of the Aubameyang problem in that he likes to drift out to that left-hand channel. And we had a striker who liked to do that, who did not favour well in his last kind of season. I don't know whether that was, uh, you know, him losing a bit of pace or whether it was you know, us not being able to work around it. I could see something working quite well with, you know, Martinelli on that left and Nunes in the middle and them kind of switching and interchanging. But he's had one big season in in uh, the Portuguese league. And whilst his numbers, I, I will admit, are crazy, the money that we're talking about is, is that of uh, what I would expect for somebody who I almost knew was going to come in and hit the ground running. You know, there's talk of about 80 million euros. And if you're talking about 80 million euros for him or 100 million euros for Victor Osimhen, I'm taking 100 million to Natalie because he is still very much on. Yeah, he's still very, very much unproven for what he is. And I think there's more of a risk factor there than any of the three players that I have, because we can end up with serious egg on our face, slapping down about 65 million pounds on a player who has one good goal scoring season in the Portuguese league who still needs to fill out a bit more for me. I think also as fans, we kind of get romanticised by a certain player that links pop up and we start going, 
or wouldn't that be nice? And there's edits of him in an Arsenal shirt. And do you know what I mean? That we we get attached to certain players for certain reasons. I think that happened with our. I think a lot of fans still want our mm. because we didn't get him. It's like it's almost like the sort of the girl people get infatuated with because they can't ask her out to the dance. Do you know what I mean? It's that it's that sort of thing. It's like what's actually best for us um, may not be the links that appear. Uh, and I'm I mean, regardless of what happens, I'm fascinated by where we go with it because I think it will really, as I say, really define the next era of Arsenal um, under Arteta and to see how he solves the sort of whether we get a, a prominent centre forward and bring in Balogun or whether we get a you know a wide forward and, and have him sort of cover the centre forward. I don't know. And it, it's really, really interesting regardless of what happens. Okay, let's move on to left-sided central midfielder. I was thinking about this and I thought, what basically, what do we need from a centre midfielder? What like what what is a modern central midfielder and and kind of what what do Arsenal need and I, and I think recently I said this on the podcast my kind of perception of midfielders has slightly changed in that I used to kind of think they'd have separate roles in terms of you know one person go is the goal scorer and the combiner one person is the sort of recycler of possession one person is the deep line destroyer or deep line playmaker or however you set up your system and actually I think I've kind of change that perception by watching Arteta and just watching more football in general and understanding that midfields I think should all have the fundamentals i.e. all three if we're going to play a three are secure in possession all three have good engines and all three are technically good and available to you know receive on the half turn able to you know wriggle out of spaces etc etc and then have certain qualities that allow them to to come together and work well you know so whether that's a progressor and a creator and a and a slight you know recycler but also all those fundamentals are there i don't think you can have someone who is just a pure hoovering up the ball you know at the back and just crunching into tackles and can't progress for example anymore i i just don't think that's happening and then you look at the makeup of arsenal's midfield and i think we miss Depending on numbers, I think sort of regardless of numbers, really, we're missing a biter, someone who's a bit nasty, as well as well as having all those technical things I discussed. But someone who's a bit nasty and clever, who can sort of who has a good passing range from deep. I think we missed that. You know, Partey uh, has started to extend that out. I think recently in terms of balls out to the far hand side, but I still think we miss someone with with really accurate long balls. I think we're missing someone also who arrives who arrives late from midfield and can combine quickly on the edge of the box i think that's why smith rowe looks good on the, in the interior and then it comes to the numbers and what we need and this will all depend on what happens with jacka and elneny we know we're going to have Partey, Erdegaard and sambi so you could look at it as okay do you need two players to the left two players for the right and Two, two in the in the deep. So do you need three players? Do you know what I mean? Like you know, to 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 understudy those guys. I don't know. I don't know, or not understudy. Yeah, maybe. Um, I don't know. But what I've done is I've got two sixes. People who are more more sixes and more in the profile of the sort of biters, uh, and two players who are more kind of attacking eights. The dream, obviously is like a Chuamani as a six and Bellingham as an eight. And I think if we can do that, 
great. I mean, you know, Drew Bellingham's attacking stats are unbelievable. The, the quality he has, I mean, he absolutely ran the show for England the other day. Um, he presses really well in the final third and that allows us to stay high. Like, uh, if if we could do it, I don't believe we can, but if we could do it, let's go out and do it. And let's, you know, I'd even forego if we just got a centre forward and a central midfielder, you know, we can we can make do if those are the right ones. Um, and Chiumeni, you know, gets in the front side at his age um, and he's a really nice, you know, uh, intercepts really well. He's got the sort of ball, uh, balls out to the channels that I really, I really like to see in a six and and wins a lot of duels. Um, I looked at Rice as well, but I think for the money, it's just not worth it. For the left eight, I've gone for Fabian Ruiz as my first choice, I think. Of course I have. Of course you have. Mainly because he looks like Ben White, Cedric and James Madison had a love child. That's That's basically... What I've gone for. Left-footed, uh, tall at 6'2". He's 25 years old, um, which I think is the the sort of age range. If we were looking for, say, 19 to 22 last summer, I want to be looking for sort of 22 to 25, maybe even a little bit older this summer. Um, he's Spanish, so he will have no problems conversing with Mikel Arteta because he also speaks Spanish because he's from Spain. Uh, his position. deal expires next summer, which is a really good thing in terms of the deal, uh, in terms of the price tag potentially. Uh, six goals in 25 games this season, Champions League experience and international experience. He is a goal threat. He really is. Uh, he's He can place it really nicely, nicely from outside the box. Genuinely, he's probably a better finisher than Lacazette. Um, carries the ball with purpose, can ping him from deep. He's not got the cleanest passing technique, but it's really effective. Um, retains it nicely in deep areas. You know, what do we need on that side? Do we need a combiner in the in the in the Erdegaard role potentially? But I also think we need power and reliability and goal threat uh, in a sort of upgrade on Xhaka. And I think Fabian Ruiz provides that. Um, potentially on the on the on the weak side, he doesn't really carry through bodies very well um is a little bit weak in the tackle but his passing stats are unbelievable i mean he's literally it's like looking at tony cruz mate it's he's in the 80th or above in everything you know 97 percent uh, percentile for completed 96 for attempted um you know key passes passes into the final third you know every stat you want in terms of a uh, a dominating midfielder you have there um I really like him. I really, really like him. And you know when just someone's easy on the eye, you just you look at them and you think, wow, just like you, Brad. Um, more of a six. Oh, um, Not my first choice, but I like him. Douglas Louise from Villa. Uh, again, another one whose contract expires in 2023. He's mostly plays as a defensive midfielder, but can push forward. Uh, right-footed and... Bit smaller at 5'9", but that's fine. Uh, he's a bit of a terrier, which is kind of what I was looking for. He's de- actually deceptively quick from what I've seen. Uh, Harry's impresses well. He's good on set pieces. Um, he's got quick feet. Uh, he's able to, he's got that sort of, you know, that sort of party thing where he's able to just retrieve balls from any kind of situation that, that he finds himself in, just sort of sticks a leg out, uh, which is very good. And he's, he's a good recycler of the boys, obviously, um, established Premier League player, international experience. Statistically, not crazy. Um, 
doesn't profile massively well, but I I like his kind of doggedness. He has that sort of um, I don't know how you describe it, but a sort of intensity to his game that that I think we miss a little bit in the midfield. Uh, someone who can who always looks like he's in a hurry. Do you know what I mean? Uh, another option for the left eight, uh, Curtis Jones. Curtis Jones from Liverpool. I really like him. He's only had 12 appearances. Uh, his place is clearly blocked in his Liverpool team. I can't imagine, you know, and especially if they're heading for Bellingham this summer. I Sorry, Andy. I, I, don't, I don't see his pathway being easy. So he may want, uh, which, you know, isn't always a bad thing. And maybe he can push through that, but I don't, I don't see where all his starts are coming next season. You know, I don't think he's replacing Henderson or Fabinho anytime soon uh, and, and not Thiago. So, uh, yeah, he progresses the ball very, very well. Um, his stats in terms of his attacking output are really good when compared to other midfielders. Uh, ditto his uh, progressive carries is in the 99th percentile for progressive carries. Uh, good in tight spaces, good on the half turn, um, tends to be on the right, but pops up on the left. Uh and he's got a goal in him and he and he tracks back strongly and and I think mentally he's someone again who I think we are missing a kind of having Xhaka the the you know he is mentally kind of up for the fight and that has its downsides but I also don't think we should negate its upsides in that Xhaka is someone who actually you do want on your team probably, you know, if, if he's not being stupid in terms of, you know, how he speaks to the referee and all those sorts of things. And I think Curtis Jones has that. Um, my first choice for the six is Conrad Lima from RB Leipzig. He's 24 years old. Uh, it was in the uh, Red Bull pipeline. He moved from Salzburg. Uh, market value is about 25 million. Uh, his contract's up in 2023. Again, uh, he's called the pressing machine. And yeah, I mean, he presses and presses Ooh. and presses. Uh, 99th percentile for both pressures and successful pressures and attempted pressures, I think. Um, good height. He's a tall 5'10", is what he is, Brad. Uh, he's good on both feet, maybe slightly right-footed. Um, he's actually really good at both sides of the game and his weakness is kind of in the middle. He has a lot of attacking output. And is really strong defensively, but his passing kind of lets him down a little bit. He's not amazing in possession. Um, he's fine, and he, you know, he, he's a Bundesliga standard, uh, you know, player. He's not not at all bad. Um, and he is he's quite good at receiving and turning. But I think in possession he's a little bit suspect. But I like him in terms of what we need as a six. I think he's he's aggressive. Um, he nicks the ball from people's feet. He can pop up in the wide areas. He can ping them. Um, so I really like him. Uh, and then finally, as an option for sort of both, uh, potentially who could play e- either sort of role, uh, Ruben Nevers as a six or an eight. He's got two years deal, uh, two years left on his deal in the summer. 25 years old, uh, Portuguese international. Obviously, we know he's a goal threat from distance um, and that's big. Um, he's a reliable passer over most distances, especially long distance, uh, a really reliable passer. Um, he's really good in tight spaces. I think probably the best out of this lot. Um, great technique, uh, good engine, solid, calm, um, Premier League experience. I think he's, he, he, if we're not considering him, I'd be, I'd be interesting, interested why, 
he wouldn't necessarily be my first choice, but if we got him, I can understand I can understand why as well. So um yeah, I really like those options. Nice, nice. Uh I mean I think the, the I think you're more likely to get Fabian Ruiz than Jones. Because I think that I think Jones is quite highly regarded by the Liverpool hierarchy. So I, I wonder whether we get them back. That again, that could all change with Bellingham if they get him in. You know, there's also talk with them yep. getting Chuamani in, so his pathway could be really, really blocked. Um, it's just, it, I think the thing is, is it would be up to him as to whether he thought right. he was up for that challenge, which is why there'd be a doubt in my mind as to because I also I don't think I'd want to accept a player that would want to walk away from yeah, yeah, that yeah. battle. Does that make sense? Like that mentality, you want a player that wants. Do you, do you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I think, like you say, Fabian Ruiz. His numbers are absolutely crazy, so he'd be a great option. Ruben Nevers, though, is another one that, that makes sense in that he can cover both positions, even though he's not exactly excellent or the highest level of player. Having somebody who can be decently good or very good in both positions sometimes is much better. Um, but yeah, there's some interesting options there. I think the central midfield market is actually quite good. Uh so I'm not worried. No. Do you know what I mean? I don't think we'll get Bellingham or Chouameni, but I, I trust the club to replace Xhaka well if he, if he goes, and I, and I hope we upgrade on him. Um, I'm not convinced, by the way. I do think we but, need two, though. If if we're letting Xhaka go and we're letting Elneny go, we will end up very, very light if we don't get uh, probably two in. Yeah, and I don't think we can rely on Patino or Aziz just yet but I, I really actually I think there's a lot of options out there um, you know when I was looking there was a lot of people that I thought well you could work you know it, it'll just depend and I think as we as we keep saying if you trust the talent idea at the club which I've, I am I'm, I'm, I really do um, I know that they'll be looking for certain things they'll be saying well this is what we want from our left eight who are the people at the top of those stats who can we go and get and I think a lot of people um a lot of people will uh, will will fit the profile. Um, I also don't think Arsenal will go for the kind of deals that feel like you know. I can imagine United doing a, a, a hundred and fifty million on on Declan Rice. Do you know what I mean? I, I can just I can see it coming because it's a sort of statement signing. United are back another summer where the fans will retweet the you know the announcement video and there's a bit of hype around United for ten minutes. I don't see Arsenal doing that. Um, so yeah. What is your next position, Bradley? Doggy? Uh, next position it, it is uh, is a right back. The, the, right. The, 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 or as I, how, did, how, did, how did Celeste describe it once? I think she said a right half back. I'm not, I'm not quite sure what that meant. But um, So uh, this was an interesting one because I think it does depend on what route or avenue you wish to go down. Um, I have... Again, kind of a first choice but and a second choice, but they're very much both my first choice. It's just they offer you completely different things. One I've got is a, a more attacking outlet and one who is a bit more of an analogue to Tomiyasu. So my first is a Joaquin Mailer from Atalanta. Uh, we saw him uh, in the Denmark team against us in the semi-final, I believe, uh, last last year um he 
And one thing that's always stuck out to me that we keep talking about is the need for two-footed players and especially two-footed players on those wide angles for those switches. Now, Wacky Mailer is a guy who has spent time both on the left-hand side and the right-hand side of a back five as a wing-back. Attacking-wise, he is brilliant. He's got very, very good technique. Uh, He's got a great selection of passes. Uh, It's not just the same kind of switch ball or the same cross in he's very much able to to differentiate what he's doing with the ball he's also got a very keen eye for goal and a decent shot on him only 24 years old uh, I don't think again I've tried to go for players that wouldn't cost an arm and a leg I don't think he'd be ridiculous to get out though his contract does run till 2025 he is in the 76th percentile for non uh, non-penalty goals for uh, for fullbacks, um, he is in the 76th percentile for shot-creating actions. His pass completion is in the 78th and his progressive passes received is in the 88th. I think what's obvious with him is you're you're not going to get a lot of defensive output. His defensive statistics are not good, but that's not what you're using him for. Having him as a secondary option, if we were coming up against a Burnley who were going to sit there so deep, and we're going to need that extra man to break that low block down. I think he would really, really offer um, a lot. He also offers the opportunities uh, for switching in game because he's so good on that left-hand side and that left foot. He gives us the opportunity to do almost a Cancelo and put him on the left-hand side to have those right-footed balls swung in. Uh, my second option, who is more of a, an analogue to Tommy Asu is a guy called Pierre Kalulu from AC Milan. Now, he's very, very raw. This season is his first kind of meaningful season of minutes. He played about 700 minutes last season, and he's played about 1,700 so far this season. Uh, Great defensive statistics. He's in the 86th percentile for pressures, the 88th for tackles, the 84th for blocks. Not particularly good in the air, but some Decent pass completion for a centre-back at 92% and at a full-back as well. That kind of stays the same. He is going to be a young option on that right-hand side who will be happy uh, to, unless he really does start to establish himself in that AC Milan squad more and more, who, if we could get him for a good price, maybe would be happy to take those secondary minutes. But also, depending on what happens with the futures of other players, can cover centre-back and has played centre-back for quite a few games this season. So he offered almost uh, a dual signing when it came to versatility. You're covering two positions with that one player. My third option was going to be Tarek Lamptey, um, but I kind of I've written him off. Uh, he reminds me of Hector Bellerin in that if... Tarek Lamptey had one bad injury if he did his ACL and his pace goes. I think the player that you're buying goes. I think a lot of his game revolves around his ability to progressively carry the ball and carry it quickly. He's okay technically. He can wriggle out of some tight spaces. But his main attribute is his recovery pace for one and his ability to burst. And if that ever went, I think you lose 80% of the player that he is. So uh, last minute... I've picked up a guy called Benjamin Heinrich, who, again, is much more of an attacking option, but has much better defensive statistics than Wacky Mailer. 
But this guy, his profile is insane. He is in the 97th percentile in non-penalty goals, the 96th percentile in non-penalty XG, the 87th in shots total, the 97th in assists, the 91st in expected assists. He is in the 97th for progressive passes. And then he is also in the 94th percentile for interceptions, the 82nd for tackles and the 73rd for um, pressures. So he is very much the complete package. I think each of these, I think, is a first choice for me because they all offer you different things. Joaquin Mailer offers you the opportunity to put a right footer on the left, very much an attacking option, great pass selection. Uh, Pierre Kalulu is that analogue to Tommy Asu. And then this guy, Benjamin Hyricks, just looks sensational. You know, he... He looks like somebody who could really come in and affect the game as a whole. But again, it will all depend as he is 25 and starting for a a Champions League level club in Leipzig, whether he would want to come in and share minutes because I don't see there's no variation in positions of his game. So that would be the main drawback of, of him. Yeah, they all sound good. I mean... I think two-footedness is a big thing for Arteta in those fullback positions. My instinct is he'll go for an attacking option because I don't think we have that. I think we do have someone who can come in and be an analogue to Tomiyasu in, in Ben White or in Saliba. Do you, know, you, you know what I mean? Like I, 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 I do believe that. Um, so it, it concerns me more to get a sort of different option on that side and therefore probably go a bit younger. Uh, so maybe, maybe one of these guys or, or maybe someone else, but I, I, I think those are all good options and it, it's kind of, of, and it's not a priority as such in terms of bodies, but I think it could be a stylistic priority because being able to switch that up, being able to in-game go, actually, we're taking Tomiyasu off and we're committing more men forward might be a big thing in certain games. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it'll be interesting to watch. I, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, the I was going to do centre backs, but I just did more central midfielders because I felt as though with the centre back situation, it's all dependent on Saliba, and I can't be bothered to have the Saliba conversation. So that was Agreed. it. <laughs> it is all dependent. If if we get Saliba. Rob Holding signed a new contract this year, last year, very recently. Last, maybe I don't know. summer last year. I can't remember, but but recently, uh, Omar Rekic may step up, but I think it is all dependent on on Saliba. We also have Mari to come back, and I and I I'm not convinced Mari um, will leave. To be honest, unless a really good offer comes in for him, you know, I th- I think why not have him. As an option, I think he's. I don't know why we would have loaned him out. Well, you loan out players. If he was going to stay. Well, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, maybe he goes. I mean, all the, the all likelihood is 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 he goes, but I just don't know that we will one hundred percent because Arteta signed him and he and he does like him. Um, and I think if we, depending on what happens, um, yeah, I mean, we'll see. So. I'm looking at right winger because I do think we need two wing options if Pepe goes. Uh, so this is all dependent on Pepe going. 
I think if Pepe stays, I, I, I'm kind of all right with leaving the right wing alone um, for another season. I, I would like another option who can stretch on the outside, uh, someone who's right-footed, uh, which is what I'm looking for with this. But I don't... Yeah, I, I, I think it's not really a priority if Pepe stays, but I just can't see him staying. Um, so there's quite a few clauses for this. It also could be dependent on an academy player not making an impact in in preseason. You know, if Amari Hutchinson or Marcelo Flores or Kido Taylor-Hart or Reece someone Nelson's comes in. Nelson's still got to come back. Reese Nelson's got a. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a really good point, actually. Um, yeah, yeah. Another another potential factor. It all it all kind of depends. So it might be a kind of end of the window thing uh, when we see how things shake out. But uh, it's also someone who's aware that they are competing with Saka. Um, so I think it probably should be someone who can play both sides, um, who can cover both sides, and can come on and make an impact. I think that's a big thing. And then it depends what kind of impact you want. Um, I was kind of looking at various options with, you know, aerial threats. Ideally, people are right-footed, but not always. You know, do we want someone who's got, got a bit more pace? Do we want someone who can come in and be a sort of, as you say, analogue to Bukayo? Or do we want someone um, someone who can come in and be a completely different option and, and change a game? So there's a few ways you could go with this. There's a chap at Paris Saint-Germain called um, Lionel Messi. Now... I wondered if <laughs> outside shout. I do like Marcus Rashford. I think he would thrive at Arsenal, but I'm I'm not going to go into that because that will, um, yeah, it will end in end in tears. Uh, Rafinha at Leeds. I don't think that's going to happen, but I think he's a really nice analog to Bukayo Saka. He plays really similarly. Uh, nine goals this season in a weak Leeds team two years left on his deal um, I don't think he'd want to come in and, and play that role but equally if the Barcelona thing doesn't happen and it looks like at the year. end of second I think that are you sure it's two I thought it was a year I think it's two but have a look um, I don't know whether he'd want to come in and play that role sort of under Bakayo I, I think he's probably too good for that but if he, no one was coming in for him at the win, end of the window, things hadn't happened. I, I think that would be an amazing addition because he could play both sides. Um, I also like him centrally as well. There's you a are nice right. little. You are correct. It is two. There's a nice little Brazilian Portuguese group forming as well. He's not very secure in possession, but he's very fluid. He's very skillful. He's very direct. He likes coming in field a, a little bit more than Bakayo, but it's it's similar sort of stuff. It defensively, contributes quite well. Um, but stylistically, just I mean, watch him. He's he's just like he's just like Saka, really. Um, places shots very well, technically very comfortable. Do you know what he feels like? He feels like a streets won't forget player. He feels like a kind of Hatton Ben Arfa. Um, who are the other streets won't forget players? Dimi Pae, Adele you know Tarant. I mean? He feels like that kind of that kind of energy. Um, but he, he he contributes well defensively. He's he's in, he's high high on the stats for tackles and interceptions and blocks and stuff. Another option: Pedro Goncalves, Sporting Lisbon. Uh, he scored twenty three goals when Sporting won the title uh, last season. He's right footed, uh, which is good. He's twenty three. Uh, plays Champions League. He's got international experience. He's quick. Uh, nice low centre of gravity. Drifts in centrally and comes out wide. He's clever. Um, he can stretch on the outside and, and come in. Uh, I like him. I mean, he's an option and and 
he might want to be making that step up and it might be the right sort of level to come in as another option. Go on. Um, just to let you know, uh, after our little chat, no, 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 no. Just to let you know, after our little chat at the start, um, Chelsea are currently losing 3-1 to Brentford. So you could stick your manager of the month up your ass, <laughs> Or stick it on mine because it might plug me up a bit, but... <laughs> Big Tommy Tuchel sorted shit to get spanked by the Danes. Love it. Literally. Um, yeah, so I like him. He, he's kind of more of a penalty box player than a large spaces. He's not really got the cleanest technique particularly, but like uh, I think as a sort of different option to Saka, like less technically able, quicker, more on the outside. Like I, I think he he could be a nice a nice pickup. Um his contract expires in 2026, though, so it could be might, might be that difficult. Uh, Dwight Ooh, McNeil pricey. is a third option from Burnley. Oh, if they go down, no, but hey, if they go down, it could be a Wijnaldum, Robertson-type pickup. He's only 22. Um, contract runs to 2024 with an option. Uh, he's actually left-footed and predominantly plays on the left, but he, he has played on the right. He's a good height. He's a great defensive winger. He is in like the 99th for shots blocked, 97th for, sh- for shots, 98th for interceptions, tackles and interceptions. Okay, that may be the way Bernie play. But if we're seeing out a game and we want to protect Bukayo, bringing someone on with really good defensive acumen who can also counter, which he which he can do. He's, he's He likes being a man. Uh, he runs and progresses well. Um, he could be a really, really good option. So I like all those three. I don't think it's a priority this summer unless... Pepe goes and I I think he will go but I also wonder whether we get I don't know I'm just interested to see how the group forms I don't I for some reason I feel like we're going to sign a a left-sided player who can play on the right yeah I I, I see what you mean um are they are they all of your options yes it, is, options. it was Rafinha first Goncalves Goncalves is an interesting one because um, my knowledge of football manager also to, uh, because I've signed him before. Um, I don't know if he has played any minutes there, which is what I'm just checking, but I also am pretty sure he can cover at 10. He drifts in field a lot and comes in deep a lot. He he, he really enjoys the central spaces. Yeah, it says again on here that he he can play at 10. So again, I think that positional versatility is going to be something that we look for. Um, I don't think Rafinha will happen purely because I think he will have first team offers from elsewhere. And I think with this right-hand sided position, we are going to have to look at somebody who is unfortunately just it. They are going to be a backup. So it is better to get a young player in who can make an impact. Like if Dwight McNeil can, that's not the worst option. The only reservation that I would have is that he's put up all his good numbers on the left. Can he do the same on the right? Because as we've seen with Pepe, sometimes being that left footer on the right-hand side, tackling-wise and things like that, the technique isn't always good and isn't always there. So um, that would be my one reservation about that. But I think that they're they're all three decently profile players who could all, who could all slot in. Again, it is really going to depend on what we want to do. I'd probably go for, I'd probably go for McNeil purely because I don't think you get the other two. 
Yeah, and he's cheap. I don't. I, th- I don't think you get them to agree. Yeah, he would come. He would accept cheap wages, and I don't think you would be able to get Rafinha or Goncalves to come, knowing that they're going to play barely any minutes. And we don't play with a ten anymore, so it's kind of irrelevant that you can cover that position. Hmm. Your wing options, please, Bramley. Alrighty. I, I did kind of the same thing as you. I wanted somebody who can play on the left. This is my first choice. Who could play on the left, um, go deep, whip balls in, but also come inside, shoot. I wanted a very versatile player, somebody that could cover both sides. This is where I kind of, I went big time. Um, this is my, like, this, this player probably would be quite expensive. It's Musa Diaby from Leverkusen. So a left-footed winger who has spent pretty much equal amount of time on both the left wing and the right wing this season for Leverkusen. Interestingly, he has been just as productive, pretty much goals and assist-wise on both sides. He uh, profiles very, very well when it comes to goal scoring and and, uh, and assisting, uh, you know, in the 95th percentile for non-penalty goals, in the 93rd for assists. Um, he very much likes to get the ball, run with it. Uh, if he's on the right, cut inside. If he's on the left, he'll either hit the byline and whip in or cut inside and try on a cross goal shot. Uh, very good technically. Um, good, Really good first touch, which is important, especially when we are seeing more and more of those clipped balls out to our wingers. His first touch is very secure. And the one thing that I think that we don't have is we've got two players who can play out on the wing, uh, the left wing in Martinelli and in Smith Rowe. Neither of them for me are left wingers. This guy, if we put him on the left, would be what I would a consider winger, yeah. a left winger. Yeah. But the interesting thing about it as well is that, okay, whilst this would cause, again, some more congestion on that left-hand side when it came to sharing minutes, I think with the makeup of the squad, what if we are going to sign a left winger, which I don't think is imperative, but might be a good option, is you only sign one striker moving forward. So you can share the minutes up front with Martinelli if if need be. He can always cover at centre forward. And then if you sign, for example, Moussa Diaby, there is then no need to sign a right winger because not only can Diaby cover the left, he can also cover the right. He could also drop into that centre pocket. I could see him in that kind of second striker role. Uh, I think he's very versatile, very good, but he's also very young. Still 22. Um, would cost a fair whack of money, I think. You know, his contract doesn't expire until 2025. A whack of money. Um, but I... For me, he is far and away my first choice of if we were to sign uh, an out-and-out, lights-out left winger, I think he would be great because it makes a lot of sense. (laughs) It makes a lot of sense squad makeup-wise. Could mainly spend his time on the left, but cover the right-hand side and give us options elsewhere on the pitch. My second option is uh, Goncalo Guedes from Valencia. Um, Now... Valencia have had a very, very bad season. They're going through a bit of turmoil. I think it was last summer or something. They put all of their players up for sale, apparently. Um, Now, he only has a year left on his deal. And he profiles quite well. 
you know, he's in the 85th percentile for assists, yeah, uh, 86th for passes attempted. But the one thing that he is really, really good at is progressive carries on that left-hand side. 93rd percentile for, for that, 94th for passes and 93rd for dribbles completed. Reminds me a bit of, and I think it's maybe just because he's right-footed and plays on the left, but Alexis Sanchez vibes of when he was playing on the left and he would cut in and smack one top bins. This is very much a, a making up the numbers type of player. But I think with the with the time on his contract, with the situation that Valencia are in, there is a deal that could be done there. Um, but that would very much be if we didn't get our first options. And I think that Moussa Diaby for me is so far and away who I, if I wanted to sign a starting left winger, who I would go for. My third choice was going to be Harvey Barnes, but again, can't hit a barn door. Well, hey. um, what do you mean? So instead, I, I, I decided to have a look at the guy who uh, we've been linked to already in Cody Gakpo. The thing about him is his numbers are insane for the Eredivisie, which is exactly what you want to see. You want to see high velocity numbers from players in, in lower divisions. Uh, still very young. He scored eight and assisted 12 this season. That's a goal or assist every 1.23 matches. So, um, he's got, uh, a contract till 2026. Um, the, the, the fee that's come out about him would, um, be about 30, I think million euro, uh, million pounds, sorry, 30, 35 million pounds. One thing that I think he would be is a good option to get in who could play on that left-hand side, who could also cover center forward. Very much that type of winger who could get in at centre forward and do a job if we needed him to at a price that makes sense. Um, would buy again if 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 we were talking about buying this guy, I would still want to start Martinelli on the left because I think Martinelli has the ability to be a superstar and would prefer to give him the starting minutes but definitely a good quality squad player who could grow into something a lot better and could cover the centre forward role. Have you watched him? Not a lot, no. Yeah, it, I this mean... Is very, this was very much last minute this morning vibes because I decided that Harvey Barnes is trash. Yeah, I mean, he's kind of the name, isn't he, at the moment? I actually haven't seen much of him. I mean, what I like, though, is the height on the player, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, I like the idea of having yeah. a player who is tall, having a player who, and again, this is the kind of the, the makeup of the squad situation thing, isn't it? It's like, how how do we solve multiple positions and and feel like in every single situation, we're going to be okay because we have a group of players who can come in and do the job and we have enough quality in every position. I think the biggest problem at the moment is like that, that feeling of like, what if Saka goes? What if... Erdegaard drops out what if and uh, maybe the maybe the Erdegaard thing is another conversation um you might need a right attacking midfielder uh, I mean from what I've seen of Gakpo like he's very sort of poised um he's got amazing technique I, I love his height as I say I, I and I think someone who's so tall and has the kind of the height and speed that he does is 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 good I'd have to watch more of him but but yeah um I'm watching him now if I'm honest, he looks more of a centre forward than a winger, which is right. interesting. As in, if I didn't know that he was a left winger 
and you just showed me this compilation, I'd think he was a centre forward. Right. Other, okay. well, he just he well, looks he looks big, looks imposing, decent first touch. Similarly to what you said about Nunes earlier, I mean, maybe there's a thing where he that is that is an option. I mean, maybe we sign him and and one more centre forward and and see how that mm. goes and and sort of let them battle it out and yeah, I think because there's going to be so many minutes next season on every yeah. channel that we can easily cover Smithrow. Martinelli and Gakpo on the left and then For sure. Gabriel Jesus and Gakpo through the middle. Yeah. I think I think fans generally and I used to be a little bit obsessed a little bit obsessed over starting 11s. Well, what's going to be our starting 11? I think that's basically like asking what's going to be my strategy for this day or every day for, you know, at work or what's going to be my strategy for asking out every girl I ever ask out. It's like, what what do you mean? It like it has to adapt to, to the to the circumstances around it. And I think having as many options as possible. I think the one actually the one thing in the Man City squad that I think is um to be improved on is I don't think they have enough directness in their sort of forward line. They have a lot of very um very 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 technically good players, which obviously Pep loves its kind of team of midfielders. It's his it's his thing. But they don't have someone to me like a Jota who's just like fucking salivates for goals. Do you know what I mean? And I don't even you know maybe they'll get that with a with a Haaland or, or whoever they sign. But I think they 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 lack that and also a sort of a uh, more of a kind of you know Rodri is an amazing defensive midfielder and has his qualities and obviously City had the ball, but as another option for them, someone who like a Fabinho. Do you know what I mean? Someone someone who in that position who could be a bit more defensive. Mm. Ultimately, you know, it depends on squad makeup and what you need. I just think for Arsenal, what we need is as many options as possible who can do different things, as well as being core and central to our beliefs, principles, and what we how we'd like to play. Because um, I hate that feeling of not not having different options and not having other ways of winning matches. Mm-hmm. No, I'd agree with you. I think because we're also this summer is going to be the summer where we start to spend bigger fees on players. I don't think we'll see another eight million pound Tavares type signing. I think this summer it will be like fairly hefty fees on, on the players that we sign. So we are almost chaining ourselves to the idea that those players have to be versatile. For example, if we're going to slap down 50 million on Jesus and 50 million on Ruben Neves and then 50 million on Moussa Diaby. You you need those players to be able to cover a couple of positions because you're then not able to bring in another central midfielder, another yep. winger or another forward, which is why those three make sense. You know, Neves can cover six and eight. Diaby can cover the left and the right and um, Martinelli can cover centre forward and you've got Jesus for centre forward and also for the right hand side he spent some minutes on the right hand side this season for City I think that's probably what we'll see from our transfer strategy this season versatile players who fit a profile yeah I think you're right it's gonna be it's good it's gonna be very very fascinating to watch though I think there's gonna be quite a few shouts out of left field that we won't see coming it's really exciting it's really exciting. And also, I think what, what it is, is like, I said it, but I, I think it's really important. Trusting that the manager and the technical director and the coaching staff and the scouts and all these people 
have the names and and know know what they're looking for specifically. I think the things that come out about like Arteta knew exactly what he wanted from a centre back, and at the top of those lists was Ben White, so he went out and got Ben White. And that that to me is is exactly what it should be. I think from a you know we're constantly comparing ourselves to Man United, and I think at some point soon it's going to become irrelevant. They are a club who look at the name of the player, the profile of the player, and I don't mean on the pitch, they off the pitch sort of stuff. Well, Declan Rice is, is he, yeah, is he a Man United player? Who fucking cares? Who cares? Does he work in your system? The thing is as well, Declan Rice is a, is a phenomenal central midfielder, but United are buying Declan Rice with the idea of making him a pure number six, which is what he isn't. Declan Rice is a central midfielder. He's a he's an uh, kind of all round eight. Rather, he's not. He's in no way the defensive mid the midfielder that United will buy him to be. And then they'll look at that and go, "Oh, he's not playing in the way that we would have expected a yeah, traditional number six to play." Yeah. And they and they, then they hang and they'll move him. Fr- they'll move him forward. They'll move him forward into a central midfield role, and he'll do well. And then they'll need to go out and buy another number six. It's and a hundred and whatever million pounds. It's just crazy. Yeah. Well, that was a lot of fun. That was a lot of fun. It was in depth. It was. And uh, perhaps not our usual um, style, but I, I like that. It was uh, It was good. I'm so excited for the window. Fuck. Oh, uh, I just, one thing I just can't. Oh, it's, it's 4-1 Brentford. It's 4-1 Brentford. Oh, no. What a oh, day. this is the best day ever. What a what day. A day. What We're going to be two points off when we beat Palace on I, I uh, cannot wait. Monday. Oh, beautiful. beautiful. And I hope Leicester get a result at Old Trafford. Oh, yeah, that'd be good. That'd be really oh, good. Mate. I am so, so excited nice. for the new kit reveals. New they, kit they reveals. So new players in the new kits. Oh, oh. Mate, Haaland in our away kit is going to look so nice. Oh, wait, wait. Do you know what? There was one There was one player, and I've only just been reminded of this because Blackbird have popped up on my laptop. Outside shout, a free transfer for Ben Brereton-Diaz for the Mate, Vibes to him. cover centre forward. I'll to cover centre forward. That's it. Second option to cover it. He scored like 25 goals in the championship this season. Man's a bagsman. His name is Ben Brereton-Diaz. Absolute bagsman. Get He's it like done. Northern slash Chilean or something. Uh, brilliant. Yeah, I love him. Well, Brad, that's all we've got time for. Beautiful. Beautiful scenes of glorious emotion. Longest podcast we've ever done. How's your ass? I mean, there was a, a break for me to, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, not, it's, it, I, listen, we've got to get this wrapped up before. <laughs> well. Before it's, it's Flashpoint 2.0. so much for listening <laughs> to the Not Podcast. We appreciate you listening. Uh, hope that was enjoyable. Hope you learned something. I learned a lot. Uh, and yeah, we'll have a preview podcast out for you. Hopefully you learned that the- there's nothing that we won't talk about. Yeah. That's what they learned. They learned that there's nothing that we won't talk about. Yeah, we normally talk shit, but today we talked about shit. Um, uh, yeah, we'll have a preview podcast out for you before the Palace game, hopefully, if anyone replies to Bradley. Uh, then we'll definitely have a podcast out for you this week Peak. after the Palace game and the Brighton game the following Saturday. 
Boom. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening. Keep uh-huh. it different, not. Uh-huh. And we'll see you later. Peace. Peace. Thank you so much for listening to the Different Knock podcast. Please hit subscribe or follow on whatever platform you're using. If you'd like to support the show, you can find us on Patreon and buymeacoffee.com, find us on Twitter at DiffKnock, and visit our website, thedifferentknock.com. Thanks. Podcast Network.